Well, good morning, LCM. Today is November 19th, 2023. You know, I just want to start off today by uh, talking about sometimes problems around a corner that you may not be able to see. I mean, there are times when that problem around that corner you just weren't quite ready for. So what you have to do is just take your, uh, take your stitches, take your bumps and bruises, as extensive as that may be. You got to just stand up. You got to just stand up sometimes and absolutely go after it. Do I have anybody in this house who understands what I'm talking about? We're going to develop this attitude that says, you can't break me, Beelzebub. You ain't going to break me. We're going to stand up and we're going to get God's will, will done and we're going to do that together. Can somebody say amen? Now, even more than just the problems that you didn't see around the corner, we actually want to talk to you today about solution to problems that we can see. Because the scripture has shown us in advance what has to take place. Amen. The privilege that you and I have together today, that God is showing us things in advance, long enough in advance that we can be intentional, wholehearted, completely sacrificial, and be part of what he has, not only in our day, but in the days that are ahead. Not only for us, but especially for his chosen people. Amen. Have you guys gleaned a better and deeper understanding of the nation of Israel and their role? In fact, we could say that God has been using his word, particularly through the Tanakh, to stitch these truths into the deep tissue of your soul. Several layers. Layers of stitches. Three, yeah. maybe. Maybe somewhere around 41 times that has been stitched together. Well, this all, or we want to pick up from is where we begin, begin to really dive into this. It's a message called Unap Unapologetic Zionist. You guys remember that message? Well, from it, we learned many deep truths of Scripture and how it applies to us more importantly, how it applies to Israel. And among them, we learned about a three-part covenant between the land of Israel, the people of Israel, and the God of Israel. In fact, the land and the people's presence in it contains uh, a self-correcting measure. Meaning that during times of discipline, the people of Israel would be expulsed from the land of Israel in order to cultivate faith-filled obedience to the God of Israel. That was the intention of discipline and expulsion the whole time. So the way to view this is that every one of these corrections is accompanied by a certainty. A certainty of the restoration of the people to the land by the God of Israel. Amen. That's a certainty. So what this is, is that it is a biblical fact that cannot be denied. That the end goal is that restoration to the people of Israel is done by the God of Israel. And you begin to get this and understand it more clearly when you begin to take the Bible seriously and use it from the right reading from the Genesis forward in order to understand God's plan. The Sunday following 
unapologetic Zionist, we learned the Ittai Doctrine. Somebody say Ittai Doctrine. You learn that the God of Israel has staked his name on the ability to perform for the nation of Israel the things that he has, in fact, promised to Israel, namely the salvation and glorification of the nation in the land of Israel on a singular day in the future. As Gentiles, our response to God's name, God's people, and God's plan can be derived from Ittai's words in 2 Samuel 15. We wanted to show you this slide so that you can remember it. The first thing, as Yahweh lives, it is out of reverence for the covenantal name of God that we support the promises of God to Israel. His name is linked to the promises he has made. Isn't that a beautiful understanding? Isn't that starting to wash over us? You can quickly acknowledge that, but to understand deep down that his name is linked to the promises that he's made to the people of Israel. The second thing that Ittai says, as my Lord the King lives, it is out of reverence for Messiah that we support the promises of God to Israel. Jesus is the King of the Jews first and foremost. His kingship is linked to the destiny of the Jewish people. And then the third thing that Ittai says, there, was, there also your servant will be. It is out of reverence for Yahweh and the Messiah that we are compelled to stand with the people of Israel and the physical land of Israel because they are the apple of his eye and the recipients of the promise. Amen. Now, church, any honest Bible student can see the efficacy, the veracity of these three pillars as a necessary response by Gentiles who love the God of Israel. However, it is far easier to commit to these principles when you have no idea what they'll cost you. And it's imperative that we actually count the cost so that our actions demonstrate the faith in the word of God that we actually claim to have. That message was furthered by the message titled Reversing Ignorance. God was helping us in this sermon because we learned about the necessity of difficult contractions. Ones that have and still must occur to bring about the birth of salvation and glorification to the nation of Israel. What we also learn in this message is we learn about and committed to the re-engaging with the revelation of God. Outlined in his Bible by studying the Bible in order that it was revealed. In the wow. order it was revealed. That, that's novel. <laughs> yeah. Doesn't it make sense that if God started with the book of Genesis... And he is talking about the conclusion of the book of Revelation that we actually follow his linear pattern to understand his plan. I don't know if you were like me growing up in school, but whenever you're given a test, you might just bypass the directions and try to figure it out on your own. That's a big fat F right there. That never works out. Well, this vital adjustment will achieve two purposes in our lives. Say two purposes. Two purposes. First. It will solidify in our convictions the actual foundational promises that every other revelation in the Bible are dependent upon, such as the overwhelming majority of the Bible is the family story of Israel. The overwhelming majority of the Bible is the family story of Israel. And the promises are to, are spoken to, the family of Israel. So it's their story and it's their promises. The second, 
Approaching the book from the proper end will keep us from drifting into errant and selfish forms of Christianity. Ones that are incongruent with the actual aim and objectives of God. So what these messages have done, they have led us to one of our major objectives today. And that being to answer a singular question. Singular. Before I tell you, I want you to know, we would have thought this answer was clearly self-evident due to the decades of teaching and recent sermons. But since most of Christian thought for most of the centuries between the cross and now, what has happened is that things have drifted from actual scripture and into self-centeredness. So this morning, we must answer the following question. Let's put up the next slide. If the Bible is about the election of Israel, why are we establishing the One Association Europe? Somebody say that's a good question. The joy of having a singular question that we're going to answer for you today is that we expect everyone in the room to be able to answer this question by the time we're done. Guess what? We're going to tell you in advance. There's a slide at the very end. And it's going to have this plus the answer to it. You're welcome. So why exactly are we building a ministry in the Balkans? Why are we going to Romania? Why are we going to Italy as a team? Why are we doing these things? Why have you, this church right here, you LCM, as a church body, in the last month, you have donated over $280,000 to the mission that we have. You little ragtag group of people have squirreled together over a quarter of a million dollars, and I know that you're not done yet. There are some of you that are working to be able to do this, and you're thinking about that which you can sell. You haven't stopped the process, but already in just the last 30 days, you've given, actually donated, actually in the hands of the church, over $280,000. That's amazing. So why are we having all of this extravagant effort if the Bible is about the election of Israel? Why are we establishing the One Association Europe? We're going to help you with this. We're going to ask the Lord to help us to give this to you with great clarity so that every man, every woman, even the children amongst us will understand exactly what we are doing in this day and time. Can somebody say amen to that? Amen. Well, amen. Well, we're going to start answering that question now. We're going to give you the title of today's sermon. The title of today's sermon is... Underground Railroad. <laughs> Ubong just got all excited because we're going to talk about the Underground Railroad. Spirit filled black, black guy already knows the answer. Oh, I get it now. Look, we got a slide for you for those of you who uh, need to brush up a little bit and remember what the Underground Railroad is. The Underground Railroad was a network. Everybody say network. network. So let's just start off by making it clear so everybody gets it. 
We don't want anybody to be dazed and confused. No matter how many pain medicines you're on right now, we don't want anybody to be dazed or confused. It was not an actual physical railroad. What? What? Ubizi just went, what? The Underground Network, listen to this, was a, uh, the Underground Railroad was a network of secret routes and safe houses. Established in the U.S., you see this during the slavery period, the last sentence there says, the slaves who risked capture and those who aided them are also collectively referred to as the passengers and the conductors of the Underground Railroad. So this was a network of people people who saw the slavery of their day and knew that something had to change and risked their own life. Not only the ones who were escaping, but the ones who were providing aid for them. Their actual home became part of the network. The route was routes between one safe house and another safe house. This was the route, this was the underground Railroad, because it was said that once people got a part of this, it's like they vanished because they were so successful in what they were doing. This network of routes and safe houses that acted as a refuge. Think about it, church, to provide refuge. To remind others who were just coming into it of routes towards liberation. For those who are free and they're demanding the liberation of others. Now, rather than go through our own history as a nation, we won't be ta talking about the tens of thousands, how they fled, where they fled, or even who led them. We're not going to go into a history lesson of Harriet Tubman, who, by the way, Harriet Tubman's nickname, what they actually called her, was Moses. How about that? That was actually her nickname. They called her straight up. Moses. So we're going to repent. Somebody say, I repent. I repent. See, you shouldn't have done that until you knew what you were repenting of. It's all right. I tricked you, though. You're feeling sorry for me. I get it. We're going to repent of making ourselves the center of every story. This is what the selfishness that Pastor Matt was talking to you about earlier. Our entire gospel has become so self-centered that we miss the obvious plain things that we must be doing and the heart that we must have. The Lord is giving us, church, long-range vision to be where God needs us to be, to provide refuge and a reminder of the route for Israel. What we are going to be doing, what we're going to be going through today is to teach us how to be a refuge and a reminder of the route for Israel to get where they need to be. Amen. Everybody say refuge, refuge. And, reminder of the route. and reminder of the route. So we're going to begin by starting at the right end of our Bible. Come on. Let's start in Deuteronomy chapter 30. And as you turn, say Underground Railroad. We're going to start in verse 1. When all these blessings and curses I have set before you come on you 
and you take them to heart wherever the Lord your God disperses you among the nations. And when, everybody say when. When. When you and your children return to the Lord your God and obey him with all your heart and with all your soul, according to everything I command you today. Then the Lord your God will restore your fortunes and have compassion on you and gather you again from all the nations where he scattered you. Again. So let's, let's begin to really dig into this, starting with the word when that I had you guys repeat. What's happening here when, with the word when, the Lord is declaring the future disobedience and discipline of his son Israel. That's what he's stating in advance. Remember, Deuteronomy is being written before, obviously, they ever get to the promised land. But God is looking forward, and he's telling them about the upcoming disobedience and discipline. And it results in their dispersion among the nations. But that's not all he's making known. He is making known in advance his redemptive plan to shape them in this process then leading them to repentance and restoration that results in gathering them from all the nations and returning back to that land. So by necessity, if the people of Israel have been dispersed, then there is a need for places of refuge within those nations. This is being stated in advance by God so that God's people can be preserved as a distinct people group in, that, in those nations and then be called back to their land, which is the land of Israel. We serve a God who makes known the end from the beginning. He tells you in advance what's going to happen. This is Moses, before they've entered the promised land, laying out for them exactly what's going to happen in the future of the entire people group. He's letting them know these things in advance. Look what verse 4 goes on to say. Even if you have been banished to the most distant land under the heavens. The first few verses are talking to you about when you're dispersed and then you come back. Because their dispersion is not permanent. It is designed in those nations to cause their hearts to turn back to him. That they might find the route back to Israel, their homeland. Even if you've been banished to the most distant land under the heavens, there's no amount of distance that matters to the Lord in this matter. Anywhere on the earth that you get sent, from there the Lord your God will gather you back, I'm sorry, will gather you and bring you back. Church, the even if is such an important thing for us to grasp today. Even if you're sent to the farthest place away from me, as my people, I'm going to work and bring you back. When we are telling you that we, somebody say we, we, we must be a refuge for the Jews. And that we must remind them of the route back to the land of Israel, to the fulfillment of God's promises. This is exactly what we mean. God will gather. God will bring them back. And he's going to use those in distant lands who've seen in advance the plan of God for the people of God in the land of God. And have positioned themselves in the nations to be able to be a servant, a tool, like an underground railroad that God can use to achieve his desires for Israel. Amen. 
in the nations were the refuge and the reminder of the route to get them back. So let's begin to move forward towards verse 5 and see God's promises about that route. He will bring you to the land that belonged to your ancestors, and you will take possession of it. He will make you more prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. More prosperous and numerous than your ancestors. So while sharing the foreknown discipline of Israel, God follows it with the promise of what he will yet do for Israel. You know what this means? God's plan is not altered. Israel is not disqualified from their national destiny when they are dispersed among the nations. Their destiny is not disqualification from the promises, but instead it is a restoration that fulfills those promises. One that not only gathers them back to the land of inheritance, but did you hear the certainty that God will increase them beyond the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? That is a certainty for the nation of Israel that we are currently witnessing today and that will be in the future. Verse 6 says, The Lord your God will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants, so that you may love him with all your heart, with all your soul, and live. The Lord your God will put all these curses on your enemies who hate and persecute you. You will again obey the Lord and follow all his commands that I'm giving you today. Here, In the Torah, it is establishing the heart of what mankind must understand. God's goal of complete restoration for the entire nation once they're in the land, this is what these passages are speaking of. The entirety of the restoration. That God will circumcise their hearts and the hearts of their descendants. These are promises that God has made in advance, knowing that there would be times of unfaithfulness in the people, but God is declaring his faithfulness ahead of time. He's declaring his love ahead of time. He's declaring exactly what he will do ahead of time. See, Israel has already been through several cycles of exile and return, but there remains a point in time in the future that this promise will be fully accomplished in his people. And our great privilege is that God is showing us these things in advance and showing us our part in what he is going to do for his people. This even continues in verse 9 of what, stating in advance what God will do. Then the Lord your God will make you most prosperous in all the work of your hands and in the fruit of your womb, the young of your livestock and the crops of your land. The Lord will again delight in you and make you prosperous just as he delighted in your ancestors. You know, this is occurring after he dispersed Israel and then gathers them back. After he brings Israel back into the land. After he circumcises the heart of Israel and their descendants. Then, he says, he will make them, Israel, prosperous in their children, in their livestock, and in their land. Then he will delight and make them prosperous with the same delight that Adonai showed upon Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Can't we see in the book of Genesis alone how much God's favor rested upon those three patriarchal fathers? And what is destined to be for the nation of Israel is that same delight, but with greater increase and with greater prosperity. So you now know the Underground Railroad that we are building 
will be centered around providing a refuge for Jews and will be to remind them of a route that takes them back to their land of Israel. So we're all going to turn to Isaiah 49 to learn more about what this route looks like. Isaiah 49, and we're going to begin in verse 8. Somebody say Underground Railroad as you are turning there. Underground Railroad. Isaiah 49 and verse 8. If you don't have Isaiah 49 marked up actually in your Bible, you need to start, you need to wake up and pay attention to what we've been doing each of the last several weeks. And you need to have Isaiah 49 marked in your Bible. Marked in very specific ways. Look at verse 8. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, I will answer you. Now. Everybody look up at me for just a second. Now. Remember that the you here is not you. Thank you. This is what the Lord says. In the time of my favor, Yahweh's favor, I will answer you, Messiah. And in the day of salvation, I, Adonai, will help you, Messiah. I, Adonai, will keep you, Messiah, and make you, Messiah, to be a covenant for the people. Are you getting what was just said there? You can replace the I in this passage with Adonai. You can replace the you with Messiah, the king of the Jews. And you can hear this iterative conversation that's going back and forth for God the Father to make sure that Messiah understands that they're going to do this together. You've just caught a glimpse of a heavenly discussion that has very practical and uh, uh, real life implications here on the earth. I will make you, Messiah, to be a covenant for the people. Man, doesn't that make more sense than you putting your own name there? Are are y'all with me today? Okay, you're going to have to help me. I, I, I need you. Okay. will make you, Messiah, to be a covenant for the people to restore the land of Israel and to reassign its desolate inheritances. If there needs to be a restoration of the land of Israel, if there are inheritances that are desolate and it requires Messiah to come in and fix the problem, That means that we're looking at a time of difficulty that is at least implied, if not directly stated in those two words. See, God is causing a plan that is going to be contingent upon the the people in the land. They have to be in the land for this plan to be fulfilled. Adonai restores the land and restores the people. Messiah, through his working, is going to be delivering the people. The desolate the desolate inheritances necessitate a time when the inheritances have been broken down. There are difficulties that are going on and it's going to require Messiah to come in and fix it. Are you guys fully confident 
That when God says something, he's going to fulfill it. That he does not lie, nor do his promises change or can be altered. In this passage alone, you should see clear then that there can be no separation between Jesus and the nation of Israel. He is their Messiah. And what is stated clearly in this passage is that he is to bring a covenant for Israel. He is to restore the land of Israel and restore them from a position of desolate inheritances. See, when we see Jesus, Israel's Messiah, completely unified with the nation of Israel, then we can begin to see rightly the plan of God. Verse 9 continues in that same context of knowing who the characters are. To say to the captives, these captives are Israeli captives. And what's being said to them is come out. Come out and to those in darkness, be free. You want to speak about an eternal plan of God for liberation. It starts with the nation of Israel. A calling out of darkness, a being brought into freedom, a release of bondage, a release of chains and captivity. By saying to them, come out and be free, God is declaring their need of restoration and the inheritances that are to be reassigned where the Israelites are, and that is in their land. Look, we get it down in our heart and soul based on what God's word says and reading from the right end of the book. It should be our primary and driving passion that Israelite captives be liberated. The Israelites who are in darkness and those who are scattered among the nations must be made free. Let's continue on. They will feed beside the roads and find pasture on every barren hill. They will neither hunger nor thirst, nor will the desert heat or the sun beat down on them. He who has compassion on them will guide them and lead them beside springs of water. The full form of restoration is being seen here. You're watching them feeding beside the roads on a pathway and what God is doing to take care of them. So that they feed beside these roads. So that they are led to springs of water. It's hard not to think about these being led by springs of water as being part of what happened in the original Exodus. In Exodus 15 verse 13. You've led in your steadfast love the people whom you redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. See, and then where does this guiding lead just a few verses later in Exodus 15, 27? Then they came to Elim, where there were 12 springs of water and 70 palms. The Exodus idea is being revisited here, and you're seeing that God is able to do it again and again until a final restoration for which every good promise, every fulfillment of every word that God has ever said to them will be made manifest right here. Verse 11 says this, I will turn all my mountains into roads, and my highways will be raised up. Church, are you hearing this? Routes, the roads, the the railway that is needed to be created. It's also hard not to think directly about Isaiah 40 in verse 3. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord. 
make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level, and the rough places a plain. That doesn't just happen magically. That requires people to be and to hear the word of God in advance and say, ah, just like John the Baptist, John the Baptizer did, by the time you're in the Newer Testament in the book of Matthew, quoting back to this, did John fulfill this passage? He started it. Do you know what we're saying to you today? Is that what the Lord is doing for us is to help our Israeli brothers. We're going to find and we're going to make routes for them in the desert places. We're going to have places of refuge that they can come when the rest of the world is trying to harm them. And we'll say, no, my house right here, my actual house, our actual ministry in Europe, in the Balkans, they're going to find a place that they can stay. They're going to have refuge. And our job is to help make these straight paths for them to get back to their land. Let's go to verse 12 and see how this continues. See, they will come from afar, some from the north, some from the west, some from the region of a swan. Come on. Man, what we should see in our engagement with this and what God has done in this church is that the region and route that God showed us in 2015, the one that you all became a part of in 2019 when we preached, we are the swan team, is that what we are committing to and declaring is that we're setting up an underground railroad that would become houses of refuge and would then remind Israel of the route back to their God and back to their land. So now that we've clearly established a route, that will lead us to the region of Aswan and ends in Jerusalem. We now want to show you how we accomplish this task of being a refuge and a reminder of the route for the nation of Israel. Before we go to verse 22, I just want to pick up on something that Pastor Matt just said. The Isaiah 49, a swan region, which is in yellow, in case you're new enough here that you don't understand why there's a separate yellow region on the map. The region of a swan that God has been leading us to. Did you hear that it took us a few years as a church for us all to kind of catch on to that? Can anybody acknowledge that with me today? 2015 was the vision. It took till 2019 till we all started to realize as a church body, we're a family here, right? Can we just be honest with this? Thought that it was for someone else and we're like, that's exciting. Congratulations. Do you realize it took us years as this church before we were like, wait a minute, we're the Aswan team. We're trying to get better at doing this. We don't want it to take four years for you to realize that we're building an underground railroad. We don't want to just preach week after week about Israel and you go, yeah, I got it. But you don't really have it. We're trying to walk through as a family that God is giving us something in advance and it takes a while before you're going to see fruit from certain things but that makes it no less God in what he has given us. It actually just requires us to get tougher than what we are, to stand up 
sometimes even bleeding in your boots, and do what God has proclaimed for us to do. Look at, look at verse 22, Isaiah 49 and verse 22. This is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I will beckon to the nations. Now you can put yourself in that. All the other yous that you were trying to put yourself in, now is the appropriate time. I will beckon to the nations. I will lift up my banner and wave it before the people. They, the nations, will bring your sons in their arms and carry your daughters on their hips. Amen. They, the nations, us, we Gentiles, are included in the promise because we've answered the call to be in covenant with the God of Israel, Amen. standing under the banner of Israel's Messiah and King for the purpose of seeing God's plan of redemption and restoration in them. You want to get a realization of who God is? You start caring for who he cares for in the way that he cares for them. And you quit putting yourself in the center of every story. See, this starts with taking actionable steps to be a refuge in the nations. Reminding Israel of their route that God's word has determined. And then carrying them on our shoulders to the land of their inheritance. This is why we're talking and taking sacrificial, actionable steps right now to establish the One Association Europe. Italy is not the landing point. Romania is not the landing point. The Balkans are not the landing points. These are all part of the network of refuge and routes that are being built. These are all waypoints that function as a refuge along the route that will then launch future ministers who carry the sons and daughters of Israel back to the land of Israel. Amen. Somebody say amen. amen. It's clear how we participate. Verse 23 goes on to say, Kings will be your foster fathers, and their queens your nursing mothers. They will bow down before you with their faces to the ground. They will lick the dust at your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord. Those who hope in me will not be disappointed. So the sign to Israel of God's name being true and his destiny for them being fulfilled is not only when Gentiles carry them back to the land of Israel, but as this passage states, it's also when Gentiles, great and small, humbly exalt Israel above themselves and live to serve the people of Israel because they have lived to exalt the God of Israel. Hey, you can do better than that. Give us a better amen than that. We're going to go. We've already actually encountered a, uh, a pattern here as we've already gone through Deuteronomy 30 and Isaiah 49. But we want you to see a pattern for how this is going to take place. Let's all turn to Ezekiel 36, and we're going to pick it up in verse 22. Somebody say underground railroad as you're turning. Ezekiel 36 and verse 22. Now, this is going to be liberating for men and women in this room, and you need to catch it. If I need to stand up and jump up and down, I will do it because that's what I'm going to do. You need to get what we're saying. This is 
powerful. It will impact the way that you see God's people and your responsibility to it. Are you ready to really see this today? Look at Ezekiel 36, 22. Therefore, say to the Israelites, this is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, people of Israel, that I'm going to do these things. But for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone. We're going on a path here. Let's get this one thing straight. God's behavior is not based on the actions of the people of Israel. The fact that Israel has profaned the holy name in the nations where they are scattered does not nullify, abrogate, or in any way alter what God will do for his people Israel. As you're, as you're allowing the Spirit of God to help give you revelation on what we're saying now, it is going to rid you of prejudiced, biased, and ungodly things that you hold on to when you are thinking about the people of Israel. God's not saying that they're, that, as a matter of fact, he's identifying that they did profane his name. And he's identifying that for his name's sake, he is going to rescue them and bring them back. Look at verse 23. I will show the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations. He's not shying away with the fact that his name has been profaned. But he's saying, I will show my holiness, the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, the name that you have profaned among them. Then the nations will know that I am the Lord. Wow. Wow. When I do what I'm saying that I will do for my people, they're the ones that messed it up. It doesn't matter to me. I'm going to fix it. And when I do that, the nations will know that I am God. Declares the sovereign Lord. When I am proved holy in spite of you. No. When I am proved holy without you. When I am proved holy through you before the eyes of the nations. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all countries and bring you back into your own land. Adonai is going to demonstrate in an unconditional fashion that his name and what he has said cannot be thwarted no matter what. You will notice that in the plain reading of the text, there are no actions required prior to their gathering. There are no prerequisites of even repentance or prior actions of contrition that Adonai needs in advance before he gathers Israel from the Gentile nations and has them carried back to their own land. Take a look at verse 25. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from your idols. So let's take a run and start into this passage, what we already covered. Notice that God first brings them back while they are in the nations profaning his, uh, his name. He first brings them back, and once they're there in the land, he then cleanses them from their idolatrous ways. Cleanses them after their landing back in their inheritance. 
So what does that mean for us? We can't wait for them to get right and then begin to help them. We can't wait for them to get right and then begin to help them. That is not how Adonai has promised he's going to do it for his people, and we have no right to change that. So remember, remember, you're now faithful adherence to the Ittai doctrine. I mean, just as a visual, raise your hands if you are adherence to the Ittai doctrine. And rightly so. You have pledged that because of your loyalty to the God of Israel, who is a covenant-making God, and to their Messianic and Davidic king. And saying with action that you will stand with Israel even unto death. So, what does this really mean? Do we only provide Jews a refuge when they agree with us? No. No. Does this mean we, we only remind Messianic Jews of the route back to Israel? No. Nope. Do we ignore Jews who have not yet been sprinkled clean or have not yet had their idolatry removed? No. Do we lift up the sons and daughters of Israel and carry them back to the land regardless of how clean or unclean we think they are? Yes. 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 Here's what we're doing. We are aiming to carry them on our shoulders back to the land because that is where Adonai's sanctifying work will take place for the nation of Israel. Verse 26 goes on to say, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. How many times have you personally read this and been thinking about you as the recipient? 98% of the time you're reading this passage, and that's me being kind. I'm a little woozy at the moment, so I'm just being really kind to us. 98% of the time we're reading this and going, look, he, look what he'll do for me. This is so wonderful. He'll give me a new heart, put a new spirit in me. God will remove my heart of stone and give me a heart of flesh. Wow, thanks. Thinking like that makes you wonder whether he actually has. Oh, that's a good word. Has he really done this in you if that's the way that you constantly think? Regardless of what the word is actually saying. So catch the progression here, my friends. They are brought back into the land for the sake of the holy Hashem. He then cleanses them. They're brought back, then cleansed, then he changes their heart, gives them a new heart, gives them a new spirit, no more to have the stony nature, but one that's been supernaturally transformed by God their Father. There's a progression that is going on in here, and Ezekiel 36 makes it patently clear. Painfully obvious. Even a child can see the progression that is going on here, but that's not all. Look at verse 27. Look how this continues. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What they're receiving is a baptism in the spirit so they can walk out God's decrees and laws as God has always intended for them to do from the beginning. This process should sound familiar to every single one of us. This should be familiar to the salvation process that God worked in you. His eternal mercy towards you 
was so that you could have a glimpse of what Adonai will do for the nation of Israel. No, you need to say that again, please, faster. His eternal mercy towards you was so that you could have a glimpse of what Adonai will do for the entire nation of Israel. This is a taste of the age to come that you have experienced so that you should make what you want to boldly advocate for the personal and corporate manifestation of his gifts so that these gifts of the Spirit can be seen in your Israeli brothers. The aim of boldly advocating for the personal and corporate manifestation of his gifts is so that the nation of Israel can experience the promises of God that we're reading here in verse 27. So you Gentiles have an obligation to be part of the Underground Railroad. Say hallelujah to that. To use your own home as a refuge for Jews. To remind them of the route that leads them to their Messiah in their land. And to strengthen your arms and legs so that you can carry them on your shoulders the whole way back to that land of Israel. Church, I don't know if you realize how good what Pastor Matt said really just was. I'm just going to hit it again. The idea that what you've experienced in salvation is just so you can taste what they're supposed to have. The reason that you're saved is so you can understand what you're longing for for his people. Your salvation is not about you. It's never been about you. It should never be about you. And for us to continue to think of what our gifting or what our calling or, yes, he put his spirit in me so I could be moved to fulfill his ways, to follow in his word. Well, praise God for that. Now you know a little bit about what he's going to do to the entirety of the nation whom he has called. That's so incredible. Look at verse 28. It, it helps us. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. The point of dwelling in the land is so that Jews experience life in the land. In the land of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob as his people, with him as their God. Remember, this is not the first step of the process. It begins with the people in a state where they cannot save themselves, and it's only through the powerful working of Israel's Messiah that they're able to truly live, literally being resurrected from their own state. Now, we want you to turn with us to Isaiah 11, we're going to see how this continues. We're going to start in verse 1. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse. A branch from his roots shall bear fruit. And the spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him. The spirit of wisdom and understanding. The spirit of counsel and might the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what his eyes see or decide disputes by what his ears hear. But with righteousness he shall judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. And he shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth and with the breath of his lips he shall kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and faithfulness the belt of his loins. What we're reading in this passage, and as a church, we have become very familiar with. This is the promise of the Messiah 
and his efforts to bring salvation to the nation of Israel. Rising up as the Netzer, and with the sevenfold spirit of God, accomplishing God's will for Israel and landing in Israel. Let's take a look at verse 6. We're going to discover a, a yet another pattern here in Isaiah's writing. Now, uh, verse 6, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, and the leopard shall lie down with the young goat. The calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. How'd you like to put your lion on a leash and let your two-year-old walk it around? The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the whole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. Love all those King James only people right there. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Church, what you're looking at is a glimpse of the millennial rule here of what Messiah does on earth, the fruit that comes from his leadership and shalom. The pattern that you see in Isaiah is this. It's often that Isaiah begins to speak of the Messiah. He sets out the strength, the anointing, the power, the righteousness, the justice of Messiah. Then he kind of skips ahead to the end result. This is what it will look like when Messiah has accomplished everything that he wants to accomplish so that there might be hope. And then he tells you about the difficulties that are between Messiah coming in the scene and the final result of everything being in right shalom. This is exactly what he does right here as well. Look at verse 10. So go into verse 10 to see what this hope is supposed to sustain you in. In that day, in that day, the root of Jesse, who shall stand as a signal for the peoples, of him shall the nations inquire, and his resting place shall be glorious. In that day, the Lord will extend his hand yet a second time. Yet a second time. If it's, let's engage the word with just some plain text here. If it says a second time, what does that mean that came before that? Good. You guys are helping me this morning. The Lord would extend his hand yet a second time to recover the remnant that remains of his people from Assyria, from Egypt, from Pathros, from Cush, from Elam, from Shinar, from Hamath, and from the coastlands of the sea. What you should begin to hear clearly is that the regions being mentioned are the region of Aswan. And this is being accomplished Remember that second time? That second time is speaking about a second exodus when he will come to deliver his people, gather them, and return them to their land. So let's bring it back to the perspective of the One Association Europe. The One Association Europe is a launching point from which future generations will go into the region of Aswan and landing in the land of Israel. The remnant of Israel will require a refuge in the meantime. They will require to be reminded of the route back to God's plan. And now what should be patently obvious is that through the law, the prophets, and what we will get to in the writing is that God 
has laid out the function of us Gentiles of being a refuge and reminding Israel of the route of which God will save them. Look at verse 12. It says exactly this. He will raise a signal for the nations and will assemble the banished of Israel and gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. What you're seeing here is the same function and effect as Isaiah 49 verse 22. When the Lord will beckon the nations, lift up his banner to the peoples in order that the dispersed of Judah could return on the shoulders of righteous Gentiles through the underground underground railroad that is being built even in our day. Even in the next few weeks and months when our friends are moving there, it's the start, it's the launching of this very roadway of righteousness to get God's people back to their land. Look at verse 13. The jealousy of Ephraim shall depart, and those who harass Judah shall be cut off. Ephraim shall not be jealous of Judah, and Judah shall not harass Ephraim. In other words, they're going to get it together. After he brings them back, then he causes unity to be there. But they shall swoop down on the shoulder of the Philistines in the west. Praise the Lord. And together they shall plunder the people of the east. They're no longer the victims. They are the aggressors. They are the ones who are victorious because their Messiah is leading them. They shall put out their hand against Edom and Moab and the Ammonites shall obey them. That is after the second exodus. That is after the second time that they have been dispersed to the nations and God has to bring them back and he gets to use us. We are seeing the signal. We are seeing that which is not yet here, but we are certain. We are confident. We are bold in this because we know that it will. And we're giving up everything that we can to make preparations because the word of the Lord is worth it. It is right. It is unchanging. And we will give of our own lives. We will give of the lives of our descendants to make this come about. Come on, somebody shout glory to God. God. Let's continue in verse 15 because it makes a very clear point that we have to, to grasp. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt. Interesting. It builds. And will wave his hand over the river with his scorching breath and strike it into seven channels. And he will lead the people across in sandals. Again, he will split the waters for his people, the people who are returning back to their land. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant that remains of his people, as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. Can you see clearly now this is directly speaking of a second exodus that's going to occur? So... Not only have these events not happened, but they will most certainly happen when Messiah returns to restore the nation of Israel. This second exodus is similar to the first one, but on a much grander scale. And speaking about a route, a highway that goes back to the land of Israel from Assyria in the north, which means that what's happening in that land of Assyria is that they found refuge, remain distinct as a people, 
and we're being reminded of what God yet will do through their Messiah as a route back to their land. We can feel that you guys are starting to get what we're saying. We're getting clarity on the mission that God has put us on, what he's told us in advance of the refuge and the route that are needed in order that we might carry Israel on our shoulders. This should give us absolute confidence and joy to participate in God's plan for his chosen people. Let's all go to Psalm 106 and verse 4. Say Underground Railroad as you turn. Psalm 106. We're going to look at verses 4 and 5. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Help me when you save them, that I may look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones, that I may rejoice in the gladness of your nation, that I may glory with your inheritance. Church, we want to just let you know, this, is, this psalm is written by an unnamed Jew to the nation of Israel about the nation of Israel. You could surmise that this could be a Jew that found refuge in Gentile nations. A Jew that was in exile looking back and saying, hey, remember me, I'm one of these people. When you show favor to your people, help me when you save them. Church, I think this is so clear and a beautiful picture of a man who is finding refuge in the Gentile nations, has been personally reminded of God's route back to his homeland, and is seeking the actual restoration of his own people. As a Gentile, we're just going to say it plainly, this must be our attitude. Amen. Whatever the Lord is going to do for us, it's secondary. It's actually tertiary. It's less than secondary. In the fact that it has to be for his people first. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. Boy, that just puts things in the right perspective. Not what do I get. Remember me, Lord. No, remember me only as it relates so that I can see your favor upon them. Help me. While you're saving them. Look upon the prosperity of your chosen ones is what I want to do, Lord. I want to rejoice in the gladness of your nation. That I may glory with your inheritance. This is our attitude, church. So are you guys getting the scriptural precedent of what our attitude should be as Gentiles? Let us show you quickly the attitude that Israel must and will have. Turn with me to Psalm 124. And say Underground Railroad as you turn. Verse 1. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say. Do you see clearly the people group that is being spoken to? Israel. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side when our people, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord 
who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. The last verse declares the greatness of the hope of Israel. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. You know, this song is a song of ascent. It is one that is to be sung as you would go up to Jerusalem, having in view the fulfillment of God's promises that centralize in Jerusalem and encompass all of Israel. Their attitude is one of rejoicing in what God's hand of deliverance was and how Adonai originally brought them through the Red Sea and then into the land. And that Adonai will not fail to save them because of the faithfulness he has to his own name that is displayed in his people in greater fashion. So good. Turn with us to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9. As we turn towards the law, prophet, and writings in, our new, in the Brit Hadashah, the Newer Testament. So Luke 9, and we're going to begin in verse 28. Somebody say Underground Railroad as you're turning there. Underground Railroad. Now, I'm not going to ask you to rouse yourselves today. I'm going to ask you to come along with me because I am roused by the very things of God today. Now, about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James and went up on the mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered and his clothing became dazzling white. And behold, two men were talking with him, Moses and Elijah, who appeared in glory, and spoke of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. To be very, very clear, we've said this many times, and it feels that it's going to be redundant, but in a day where we're helping to get clarity, his departure, in the Greek, the word for departure is exodus. It's not the word that means exodus. It is the word exodus. So as you're seeing here in a Mount of Transfiguration, you're seeing Moses, Elijah, and Jesus having a convo. You're literally seeing the embodiment of the law, the prophets, and the writings talking about his upcoming exodus. You could even say his second exodus. This is what is being spoken of right here. An upcoming exodus that would be accomplished in Jerusalem, in the very heart of Israel, and the way he would bring his people out again back to the mountain and declare ultimate victory with him standing at their head. To those who understand the foundation of God's plan from the Tanakh, this discussion immediately brings to mind the first forming of the nation in a single day and the many times that he's done that afterwards. The upcoming exodus that Moses, Elijah, and Yeshua were speaking about will surpass the ones in the past, so much so that Israel will not even remember those times. They will no longer reference those times. And you can see them at that 
line of thinking many places throughout the prophets and especially in Jeremiah. When reading from the right end of your Bible, the correct end, starting with the law and moving forward, Luke 9 can be correctly interpreted by knowing that it is through the Davidic king of the nation of Israel that God will return all Israel to the land on the shoulders of the Gentiles. He will cleanse Israel from sin. He will give them a new heart. He will put his spirit in them. He will restore their desolate inheritance. He will crush and subdue their enemies, and they will live in the land as his people. Church, when you read the Lord's Prayer through the lens of the Torah, the Navim and the Ketuvim, the prayer of let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven is rightly understood as a request to see Deuteronomy 30 through Psalm 124 accomplished for his people. And that is what they're speaking of in this moment. We'll turn with us to Revelation chapter 1. And we'll pick up in verse 4. Say, Underground Railroad as you turn. John to the seven churches that are in Asia. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before his throne. So the Apostle John is speaking to the seven churches, as it says, in Asia, or better put, the region of Aswan. But look where he then proceeds to end his text. He begins then to extol the God of all creation. That Adonai himself is going to accomplish his will through this region and he also takes time to acknowledge the importance of the complete sevenfold spirit of God being present by which it will be accomplished. Isaiah, Isaiah, exactly, Isaiah 11. Verse 5, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler, the kings on earth. What we have is three the clear descriptors of Jesus. The faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, and ruler, the kings of the earth. As Wade and I were studying this, we begin to see a reflection of the patriarchal fathers. Abraham, that faithful witness. Isaac, the firstborn from the dead. And Jacob, who would produce the rulers that come from the nation of Israel. That was Pastor Wade, actually. Faithful witness is what God is uh, declaring here in this passage. One who will never leave his people and intends to crush the head of the serpent in order to protect the nation of Israel. Yeshua is the firstborn from the dead and so has already demonstrated the process of life from the dead that Israel will experience totally and finally in that second exodus. That Yeshua is the ruler of all the kings of the earth in order that they will carry the sons and daughters in their arms when we see the full restoration of the people. Come on now. Let's continue on in the verse. By the way, don't you love that Pastor Judah shared this exact passage earlier today? It's almost like the Lord is helping us to get exactly what we should get today. <laughs> to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom a priest to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Come on, church. Does he love us? Yes. 
we can experience this love because he first loved Israel and his love for them will not fail. Has he freed you from your sins by his blood? Yes, yes he has. We have freedom because he first frees Israel. Are you a kingdom of priests? Yes. yes, you are. But you're a kingdom of priests because Messiah was able to fulfill his promise to Israel all the way back in the original Exodus when he was claiming them and describing them as a kingdom of peace. And now here in the book of Revelation, the revelation of the Christ, of the Messiah, you're seeing that that theme has now taken full hold and we're able to be priests, kingdom of priests, only because Israel itself is the originator of this. Let's all turn now. Oh, I'm sorry, one more verse, verse 7. Behold, he is coming with the clouds, and every eye will see him, even those who pierced him, and all the tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so, amen. What this is clearly stating is that the cloud rider cannot be ignored by those who pierced him, and certainly not by all tribes and groups of people on earth. You Gentiles, your inclusion into this should drive you to a higher level of commitment, first for his people, and then to make sure that your offerings are acceptable unto God because you are rightly honoring the people of God. You know that our function in the kingdom of God as priests, it is available for us to participate in because it is what God originally designed Israel to be and Israel to do. That much like what we read in the Psalms, oh, remember me, oh Lord, when you save them. Another way to put it is, oh, remember me, oh Lord, when your kingdom comes for them on earth as it is in heaven. Oh Lord, remember me in the priestly function that you have laid upon them as a foundation and that we get to participate in it with them. So now let's all turn to Romans chapter 15. Underground Railroad as you're turning there. Romans 15 and verse 14. I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder, because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. I just want to tell you, that it takes very bold speech and very bold actions to see God's plan that was initiated and formulated many millennia ago come to fruition in our day. Standing in what you're standing in now is LCM. Visiting what a one association conference looks like, you can forget the boldness that's required to get it there. There are many years when it was only the bold speech and the bold actions based on God's word and his promises first and foremost to Israel that were the only thing that this house had to hold on to. We're saying to you boldly today that the reason that we are creating, the reason that the One Association Europe is at hand is because of 
God making his will known in advance and us standing there realizing that it's going to take very bold speech, very bold actions for a long time through the generations. But we're saying not only is it worth it, it is our great privilege to do so. There has been a great deal of priestly service on behalf of the whole independent, uh, Israel-dependent gospel in this house. Many of you Gentiles are now able to present offerings that are acceptable because they've been sanctified by the Holy Spirit because of your time here, because of the work of these pastors that we have here. Can somebody say amen to that? We want to tell you today that we're proud of the work that is going on in this house. We're sending our very best. Let's just be honest. You and I both know that's just not a catchphrase. We're sending the literal best that we have. It's not hyperbole. It's honesty. We're sending the best that we have at great cost. They get the honor and the privilege of going, but it means that they have to give up a lot. It means that grandparents don't get to see their grandkids very often. It means that things that are precious and that have been built in this place are going to have to be rebuilt again with, after we bend over with worn-out tools and pick them up and build them again. The offering of these Gentiles is going to be acceptable to the Lord. That's easy for us to grasp. It's easy for us to feel that God is upon. So the question is, what about us? What about you? What about me? How are you doing on the debt that you have? If you're like me, I hate having debt. I hate owing something to someone. I'm not a very good patient. I don't want people to help me. I'll get up. I'll do it. How are you doing on the debt that you owe to Israel? We're in Romans 15. Look down at verse 27 together. We, it, it, we need to do this. For they were pleased to do it. Romans 15, 27. It's amazing that God has given us revelation from Exodus 15, 27 about Eliam. And Romans 15, 27 gives us another revelation that we must take hold of. For they were pleased to do so. I'm sorry. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings... They ought also to be of service to them in material blessing. You do realize that that just doesn't say just financial blessing, right? We're not asking you to tip your Jewish waiter 25% instead of 20%. Go ahead and do that. That's great. The material blessings are material, physical, tangible, practical ways. This is why we've spoken to you today about the Underground Railroad, to create a network of refuge and to remind them of the route to get them back to their land. And our tangible material work is that we're going to carry them on our shoulders to do it. We're going to start in the Balkans. We're going to display the Torah there. We're going to remind the Jews of their route, and we're going to carry them physically, materially, ushering them into the place of their own promises that God has for them. 
As we begin to approach a close, I just want to share with you something personally that myself and a handful of others have had the privilege of witnessing. If you go back uh, and listen to the very first sermons of LCM, what you'll hear is the exact same message that we've been preaching the past couple of weeks. Nothing's changed. Now, our voices have gotten deeper. We've expanded and contracted several times, and definitely less hair on our head. But the message has never changed. Let me speak to you of the privilege that you have. You have the privilege to not only witness, but directly participate in the fulfillment of what God has said from the very beginning, the foundation of this ministry. And that participation as used the guys that we're going to launch very soon as an example. That participation is first the investment of all of our lives into these men so that they grow up as a unified team of families that then God says, now it's time to launch, and that also does require financial support. That our, our practical, tangible investment has been with the lives right in front of us, the families God has put in our midst, so that we can go to the nations to be a refuge for God's people, Israel, and remind them of the route for them back to God's promises. The whole point is that we are advancing into Europe with the expressed intention of taking a remnant of captives from the Middle East and seeing the gospel return from Rome to Jerusalem. God's been at work in this in grander ways than we can ever imagine, and it's just beginning to unfold. It's beginning to unfold as we recount prophecies and promises that God has made not only to this church, but has spoken to the rising church, in particular with Pastor Massey, about setting up a refuge and being a testimony that will be a refuge that God is making known in advance. And now we know with greater clarity of exactly the impact that sending our sons is going to have. Now that we made it clear what our goal is in sending our brothers to the Balkans, it is our intention to instill in you that our current commitment to sacrifice in the present is an ongoing commitment that will accomplish the generational goal of reaching Jerusalem. And now, now we want to answer that singular question for you. If the Bible is about the election of Israel, why are we establishing the One Association Europe? We are committed to being a refuge for the nation of Israel and a reminder of the route that leads them to liberation as we carry them on our shoulders. That is what the One Association Europe is all about. It's what our brothers and sisters are going to do, even as they're building great works there. So we want to end our time with you here. And before Pastor Matt closes us out, as we are ministering to those around us, I want to encourage you to make sure that the ministry that we have, we're not 
encouraging you to stop ministering to those around you. That would be as silly as asking Ibrahim to not minister to Egyptians. But Ibrahim doesn't wait till the Egyptian is fully cleansed, removed all idolatry. Ibrahim is a man who works for their good, literally trying to find them houses and success here. What we're saying to you is how much more how much more should a man like Ibrahim, if he can believe in the salvation of an Egyptian or an Arab, how much more should Ibrahim, you, be holding out hope for the salvation of God's people, which are technically the only ones that you can find in the Word that are guaranteed salvation? How much more? Your ministry to those around you and at the workplace. Fantastic. Continue. But how much more should you be looking to minister to God's people? Not in some sales pitch of a salvation call, but in actually walking them through the gospel. Being a refuge for them. Reminding them of the route that's their route to get them back where they're supposed to go. Say it with me. How much more? So everybody begin to stand to your feet. I challenge you today to seriously think about the how much more. In this past week, in this past month, hasn't God given you several ministry opportunities where what you do and therefore what you say has impacted somebody's life that has or will lead to transformation? Think about that today. Let this word sift your own heart about your view of Israel and how much more in comparison to how God has used you this past week or this past month. So the question to put before you is this. Why don't you believe that God can really save the Jews. I mean, as we're going through these passages, you're nodding your head up and down, agreeing in your heart, well, that, that is what the Scripture says. But you have that tension of, yeah, but just something's not right because I really don't believe God would do it for Jews. I just think that he does it for me. Is that true? No. So wrestle with this. It's what we covered in Ezekiel 36. You're having a problem believing that God can really save the Jewish people and better yet, that his promises of salvation and restoration are first for them and then for Gentiles. You know what that's indicative of? That your heart is not really in the land. Your heart is not attached to the centerpiece, the foundation, and the dependency of who Israel is as a people and what Israel is as a land. So what needs to happen? Let's just say that God brought you in here before you were ever really cleansed of that kind of thinking. Do you need to be cleansed from all of your uncleanliness and idolatry of self in view of God's word as it relates to Israel? Do you need your stony heart exchanged for a heart of flesh? It doesn't rebuff and kick against 
the nature of God and his promises? Do you need his spirit put in you anew and fresh today? Do you need that rebaptism of the spirit or an initial baptism of the spirit because you're having a hard time, if not failing, at keeping his decrees and to keeping it his commands? Well, now is the time. As the Lord has used this word in this very moment to address the uncleanliness of your own idolatry, the stoniness of your own heart, and the absence of the power and manifestation of a spirit, now is the time to come to this altar. Now is the time to cry out to the God of Israel and say, remember me, O God, and may what you have and will do for Israel, please do for me now. God of heaven and earth, the God of Israel, we thank you for allowing us to participate with your people in this covenant that we have. It is precious and we are forever in debt to you and to them. Move our hearts, circumcise them, change them anew. Help us put our heart in your land with your people and equip us to carry them on our shoulders back to their promise. Out of respect for the sheer will, grit, chutzpah, toughness that it took for Pastor Wade to do that, would y'all take a seat for a minute for his sake, not yours? We're going to go eat our lunch and do all of those things. I want to point out a couple key issues as you reflect on this message. This yellow region on the map, although God returns his people from the four corners of heaven, this is the region specifically designated. And it's been hanging on your wall a long time. I, I know something of what it is like. I, I want you to understand it. When I got born again, the first prophecies I ever received were about Israel, about work in Israel for several years. That's all I ever received. So it was a bit of a mystery to me what a long-term investment this is. Uh, there are many fine organs. Would you turn on the lights? It's weird. <laughs> there are many fine ministries. Bridges for Peace, International Fellowship, Jews and Christians, One for Israel. Why don't you just go join that then? Because we have a long-term plan that is in line with God's purposes. That's why. Why aren't you just satisfied to tip a Jewish waiter? Because that money will go in and out of his hands and not accomplish God's purpose. I am proud of our work amongst the Gentiles. I want to try to summarize it for you for just a second. Because what we're talking about is decades and generational not momentary. This is not an Israel series. It, it's all I've ever been preaching about. It's just that to get to that goal, you have to do some other things. I actually detest long closings. So I don't want to have another one. This is Isaiah 49:22, And I'm just going to mention a few things. But for a second, I'm not talking about Israel. I'm talking about you. You heard that the return is going to happen. 
I know everybody thinks it happened in 48. It didn't. Because all of the other things accompanying it didn't happen. The nation was not cleansed. Messiah is not seated on a throne. All of those things. You heard today that there'll be another exodus. That has terrible and wonderful consequences. In the coming weeks, we're going to share with you the true context of Pentecost, the true context of Matthew 25, the true context of life, because it is always a crucifying event followed by a resurrection. You're going to find out that we've called so many things fulfilled that were just initiated and not completed. And I want you to have the faith to fulfill it. Yo, at least staring at the screen, I, some of you are done. Your Bibles are up. And that's, that's, it's, it's okay. I'm, I'm used to saying things to you for decades that you understand later. But I really would like you to get this today. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I will lift up my hand to the Gentiles and raise my signal to the Gentiles. And they shall bring your sons, Israel, in their arms. And carry your daughters, and your daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. All right, zero in on verse 23. It puts, it puts all of our ministry into context. Kings shall be your foster fathers, or guardians, or nurses, or caretakers. That's, that's the idea there. Kings shall be to you like a, like a stepdad. And their queens your nursing mothers. With their faces to the ground. They shall bow down to you and lick the dust at your feet. I don't know about you. I don't like the idea of licking dust. Can you be honest that that, that doesn't jump out to you as like, oh, yes, I can't wait to lick dust. Isn't that what the snake had to do? I want you to get what this ministry has been trying to do. It's to raise up kings and queens. Kings and queens that can be humble in regard to God's name and realize that their status as kings and queens was only to humbly bow before the name of God and what he wanted to accomplish in his nation. Can I tell you what that is? Enviable. Arousing. We've spent all of these decades here to turn you into kings and queens so that you could actually understand God's purpose and humbly submit to it on his behalf before his people. That's what that lick the dust thing means. You found out in Ezekiel 36 that the national salvation of Israel does not occur by repentance and then return. It occurs by return where God causes them to repent. So you can't wait for them to understand what you're already supposed to understand. You're an aid in it. And that's kingly and it's noble, but it's also humbly bowing before the name of God and what he wants to accomplish in a people that maybe nobody else in the world believes it can happen for. This ministry is laid out before you for many, many years, repetitively, sound, biblical, and prophetic insight. Years ahead of the trends that we're seeing, many years ahead. And I feel humbled to be a part of that. You should feel humbled. King and queen. Say I'm a king. Now no men say this. Women say I'm a queen. 
that bows before God's desires and objectives for his people. See, that's, that's what we've been trying to do. Next time you read Isaiah 35, do y'all remember in the Acts study that the followers of the way are followers of the route described in Isaiah 35? Knowing what you know now, read that again. Israel is in the wilderness. It is terrible, except God causes it to become a desert that blooms. It's to Israel that he says, strengthen your feeble knees. Make strong your arms. You're going to walk on a highway of holiness. I don't want to be too graphic with it, but the highway of holiness are kings and queens that have bent down to the dust and made our shoulders and our backs a roadway for them to enter into what we've already tasted of. That's, that's what that is. Okay. I want to pray for you, tell you unashamedly, I think that's one of the best messages we've had in this church in a very long time. It's one you need to understand. If you don't desire to be contentious, but your mind is just kind of plagued with a, yeah, but, yeah, what, but what about every single Jew? What about every Jew in every generation? Don't murmur and whisper about it in the corners. Be a man. My door's open. Come sit down with me. I've been in explaining it to you for decades, and I'll continue to explain it to you. There is a problem in your understanding, but there's not a problem with the plan of God. Okay? There is a day. Somebody say a day, a day. When every living Jew on the planet will be saved. That day is not today. And it wasn't last year. And it's not tomorrow. But it is coming and we are preparing for it so that there is a surviving remnant. And the whole nation will be saved. Y'all stand to your feet. We're going to pray together. I'm going to ask you one more very practical thing. I know what it is to preach with injuries. I know what it is to walk in here, love everybody, be loved by everybody. And your acts of affection and kindness are actually kind of painful sometimes. Don't squeeze weight today. Okay. Don't. Just don't, okay? And all of your desire to express affection to him, like, keep, like, you can express affection like this. My God, do I love you. That was an extraordinary message. I'm taking notes. I'm going to review it. I would like to talk to you. What I'm not going to do is lift you off your feet with a hug. What I'm not going to do is squeeze you. I'm surely not going to pat your thigh to tell you did a good job, okay? <laughs> Somebody say, I will not do that. I will not do that. Have broken ribs and and he doesn't right now, praise God, but I have. Have broken ribs and walk in this church and be hugged 45 times and try to keep a smile. Okay. What he did was a, a, a testament to God's grace at work in him. What Matthew did today was extraordinary. And you should be proud to have pastors that understand what they do. I feel like it's the crowning achievement of our ministry because I know if they get it, I know that you will eventually get it. I know that. When they say we're sending our best, I've never known another group like the kibbutz. But we're going to create a bunch more in here. And some of you are showing that kind of potential and promise already. Our loss in them is also our investment in you. That's, that is what it, we, are, we are hanging God's plan on that map. Not on their shoulders, on yours. They're already going. It's not just our job to keep them there. It's our job to provide the generations that it's going to take 
and the hundred families sewn into that region to do it. Our hopes are quite literally on your shoulders. We're proud of our work. We're proud that you're kings and queens. We are proud of you. It's not my normal style to tell you that this much. It's not my tempo. But it is true. And we are going to do it. We will see the consolation of Israel. We really are closing. We really are praying. I can only think that the reason that God has moved us away from the celestial Disneyland in the sky, where we just raise a pinky after reading four spiritual laws, is because while there were generations that really all they were going to do was believe on Jesus and die to go, we're approaching rapidly the generation that will actually walk out these prophecies. I think it's upon us. It might even be standing in the front of our church. Can you imagine having materially contributed to that in every way? Can you imagine that? We often say things like, what would you say to Samson, Gideon, Barak in eternity? Well, when you sit at the feast with Father Abraham and he's looking around at his sons and they were carried on your sons and grandsons' shoulders to that table, hell, that's kingly. Let's pray. Jen, come here. Come pray for us. Women can pray in church. They can. Come on up here. She's not preaching. She's not teaching you. She's not commanding you. She's praying. Yeah. Mighty one, I just thank you so much, Jesus, for this ministry, Jesus, and for these people here, Lord. Thank you for this revelation, Lord. May it grow inside of us every day, Lord God. May we understand it and it be fulfilled, Lord God. We love you and we praise you, mighty one. I thank you for the opportunity to worship you alongside these people. In the name of Jesus. Amen.